Hey, this is Roshan Agnew, and you're listening to 12 Angry Minutes, a show about art and anger. Hello, and welcome back to 12 Angry Minutes. I was about to call it Three Angry Minutes. (laughs) Oh my god, I can't even remember the name of my own podcast. This is Roisin. Hey, guys. It's our third episode. What up? I'm kind of excited about this week's episode for a couple of reasons. One is because our guest is pretty awesome, and he also came out with some really interesting and surprising things for his 12 Angry Minutes, but also because I had a bit of a weird couple of weeks relating to my own anger issues. I think it would be fair to say I regressed pretty horribly. I kind of blew up at someone who I was close to and it kind of has had the result that the person doesn't really want to be around me anymore. And it's one of the consequences of being someone with an anger issue. You burn people and you burn through people. And I am sorry if you're listening. Um, But I've had a lot of interesting conversations about anger. Today I was exchanging emails with Connor Horgan, the guy who directed Queen of Ireland. And we were talking about anger and women in portraits and we were coming at it from very different perspectives I'll just tell my perspective because I know that Connor is working on a project around women and anger in photography and being portrayed as angry so I don't want to spoil what he's working on but I'll tell you my experience which is just that like men really struggle with talking about anger whilst women just like immediately are up for it and will like be like oh yeah you want me to talk about anger here's five things that piss me off right now I could talk about them for 12 minutes or I could talk about it for half an hour so it's a very different approach and obviously we're angry because you know we have a lot more reason to be angry on a daily basis and our daily private lives and public lives there are things that subjugate us there are things that oppress us there are things that are a cause of anger for women the other thing came from something relating to a family member of mine who I'm going to keep anonymous who I think has probably been very down who suddenly in the last month has turned to rage And, you know, part of our podcast is about talking about how rage is a force for good and watching this person who I love turn from sadness to rage has been amazing because of the hugely empowering effect it had. In keeping with that theme of turning grief to anger and also to acknowledge the horrific events in Charlottesville this week, I wanted to read a quote by Malcolm X for this week. Usually when people are sad, they don't do anything. They just cry over their condition. But when they get angry, they bring about change. Without waffling and pissing off my mother even further, I was with my mother last week. We had a really good time. 
We were in the kitchen a lot. It was really nice. At one point, I said to my mom, isn't this nice? And she's like, is it? Um, hey, mom, I'm going to stop waffling now. And yes, that was nice to be with you in the kitchen. This week is a really special episode. We're talking to one of Ireland's foremost, most famous street artists, Mazer, also known as Al, which is his real name. Al most recently probably will be known to people for what has become a hugely iconic mural he did for the abortion rights uh, movement uh, on real issues. He did a big repeal, repeal the eighth mural on the Project Arts Centre in Temple Bar that became really kind of um, not only a battle cry for the movement because it subsequently got removed by Dublin City Council because of complaints. Al doesn't talk about that on the podcast because he said he talked about it enough. But um, Al's a wonderful person. He um, really opened up for us for this podcast and I want to thank him ahead of his piece for doing that. And for his 12 Angry Minutes, he talks about the dehumanizing of homeless people in Dublin specifically. Um, But the other thing that Al talks about is his mental health issues, which is something he has not really spoken about publicly before. And really, I want to acknowledge him for being really honest about it. So guys, welcome back. Episode three, Mazer. So, Al, I was actually remembering today when I was thinking of coming in to interview that the first time I met you was for a really weird thing I did for the Irish Times mm. where I got people to customize a jumper and you did a jumper yeah. that said every man needs a good woman. And That's I sure. had to model it in the Irish Times with a friend of mine. It was yeah. two of us in a big jumper, <laughs> possibly the most embarrassed I've ever been Good. when that photo came out. So thanks thanks for that. You're more than welcome. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go straight in with a question okay. I have for you. Okay. You told me yesterday when I bumped into you on the street, um, on Dame Street with your girlfriend, Daniela, that you kind of weren't comfortable with the whole getting angry. Why aren't you comfortable with giving out and getting angry? Um... Yeah, getting angry or giving out probably like it's it's um for for multiple like multiple reasons really that I probably don't want to project that bad energy out in some way because I think there's enough negativity out there as it is. Now don't get me wrong, I moan and I give out stink about shit like a lot. But I'm just saying if I in a position to do it, I would try to uh, practice restraint and because yeah as I was saying like on ground level there's a lot of negative things going on a lot of people like I, I just I, it just doesn't sit with me and um, and when I have had that attitude and I apply it I myself then become a lot happier I hear and you and so it's very beneficial for me as well as me not giving it to somebody or hearing bad thoughts mm-hmm. so like the thing for 12 angry minutes was exactly that that it's the idea like what you were yeah. saying that just like the idea of being angry just me it like it's equated with pumping out negative energy. And I kind of don't feel that that's necessarily what it is. To me, a lot of what you do yeah. comes from a place of anger. Oh, yes. Okay. Because you obviously, <laughs> you came out of like, you started tagging stuff in the 90s when you were a yeah. teenager. Like the whole idea of graffiti art comes out of an idea of protest and anger. Well, is it? 
Yeah, I think so. Are you talking about where graffiti started in Philadelphia in the 60s? No, okay. That comes out of a whole different culture. But I think the way it was appropriated, particularly by, say, white guys in Dublin, it comes (laughs) out of an idea of protest. And protest comes out of an idea of anger towards the establishment. So... We're going to come back to this, but well, to me, okay. okay, go. No, you go. Answer. No, I appreciate that, and uh, that's a that's a insightful way of looking at it. Um, but I can just speak only for myself, mm. and there was no anger or anything like that. I would use more words like curiosity, ambition, um, opportunities. So when I was fifteen, I did it. I had a lot of pent up energy, like any other kid. And I'm not saying it's a negative energy, but just we would then, for f- like release that through sports or so so i i found this niche i felt maybe very socially inept at certain times in my life when i was a kid so this became a great vehicle for me to be able to express this inner artistic component i never knew even knew i had and then also became very sociable it led me to explore the city it gave me a sense of presence it gave me an understanding that i'm here and like i'm marking a wall and physically like i'm here with this and that i don't want to be forgotten there's a lot to that like this mm-hmm. so i can safely say that it's never for me was based on anger because if it was anger frustration and protest i would have just been smashing cars and burning shops or whatever other or beating people up you know so we're also and, grateful you decided to yeah, not yeah. do that. Thank you. Yeah. I imagine the size of me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you say that like graffiti has allowed you to kind of explore the city because like obviously you're someone who ha- you were living in the States, you're living in Arkansas mm. for a good long bit. Then you're based in London at the moment. Yeah. And then I read uh, an interview. Um, I can't even remember with who, but you said that like you never feel like you're away from Dublin because you bring Dublin with you for all sure. the time. And you're such a Dublin, like an iconic Dublin artist. Oh, thank you. How do you feel the city is these days? Because I feel like it's getting a really I don't know I feel like people are very down on Dublin these days that I feel like a lot of people oh. are moving particularly the creative community I feel like are down on Dublin at the moment mm. because there's money pouring back in it's getting a little bougier again and it means that there's less opportunities for maybe underground things DIY scene right, and stuff right yeah I can understand that How, what do you think what are your feelings about Dublin currently yeah I can relate to that sort of the DIY aspect and it comes down to like literally I was in the States and there was a time where I had like best studio all the materials and it was just like I couldn't produce anything and then when I'm with nothing or of no time I'm scrappling stuff together I produce the best work so mm. I can understand that how that can relate to what you just spoke about there um, I think so I'm in and out of Dublin quite a lot and I'm when I'm here I'm pretty much hit the ground running meeting people mm. painting or whatnot so I can't um, say I'm fully aware of the this ch- shift what you're saying when money come back in with the with the, um, in terms of creativity I can only see benefits and that's my small insight into seeing like that tower building being built yeah and the guy behind it Luke young guy my age and his energy invested into that, you know, because, you know, I'm sure he could just flip that into something else. Mm-hmm. So I look at that as a positive and I think it's um, a manageable uh, price to be a member and stuff like that. And and I, I see a lot of acceptance. I see a lot of like street art going up in the walls now. It's like obviously there's a resistance there at Dublin City Council and I, I butt heads with them bits and pieces here and there. But like, I guess they don't get us. They don't get the young creatives or, or what we're doing. We're, we're, I think we're all, I feel as if we're all uh, contributing to the city rather than taking away from, I think maybe their attitudes might be, or an older generation might be thinking we're taking away. But mm. 
were contributing, you know. So So you kind of sound pretty optimistic about how Dublin is though. You don't yeah, have a I bad feel feeling the mood, about it. Like it's good, you know, because I'm coming from when I moved to the States, we were bang in the middle of the recession. Now the recession never affected me because I was broke before and then I was broke during it. So yeah, I love that same. Yeah. Like, so I went and uh I went to states, but I, I remember like the energy was low. Like you know, people, all my mates are like now. My friends now are a lot of my creators, and they're losing their jobs and post production and whatnot. So there was definitely like an undertone of sadness. But then when I, when I come back and I come back now, I just see a lot of activity. Maybe people that are here don't see it as much or whatever, but I can see all these exhibitions going on like the young guy Peter Doyle just had an exhibition which mm. blew my mind yeah I saw you that know, actually just, like, on Instagram I was looking at his and he's a cool and cat and mm-hmm. uh, there's another guy Aches this guy that's painted that Stormzy mural down mm. and it's like that all these things I'm like yeah okay Dublin's finally like it's connecting back again in a real nice way like you know that's awesome so I want to talk to you about travel because travel's turned into a huge part of both your career like professionally yeah. but also kind of just your life you're yeah, just back it. from Uganda tell me about that yeah Uganda was a really interesting project and uh, that came about as a friend of mine, Mark here, who's, um, who had went, he's a teacher, but then, um, so he obviously has the summers off and he surfs and he went to Liberia, uh, he goes to Africa quite a lot to paint, I mean to surf, and uh, when he was there in the town, he's he had proposed this idea, what if you, he sent me pictures of this space, which is like a makeshift sort of basketball court, he said, if I gave you the measurements of this, do you think you could design something and I'll get the locals to paint it? And I was a bit nervous about it, but I was like, okay, I could, because it was an extension of what I was doing in terms of that social engagement of like people taking ownership of my work, building mm. it, and then experience it does experience. Yeah, like you don't put copyright on some of your yeah. stuff because you want it to be shared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there, it's public. It's you do what you want. Um, so yeah, he did that, and it went brilliant. Met him for a few pints, got on really well. Met for another few pints, got on really well. Then met him again for another few pints, so we'll like, go over whatever amount of time, <laughs> and. Uh, and so we started hatching a plan about what we do next. And I, I, I'm sure it was him that said Uganda. And we spoke about the refugee camp there. It's the largest one in the world, Camp Bidi Bidi. And I knew only a small bit about it. Um, just had to say, so then refugees come down into it. And he was sort of giving me some of the stats. I think there was like just probably more now, like 270,000 people there, 180,000 are children. And so we were we were having drinks, m- me, him, and Daniela, and uh, we're like, okay, let's go. So we're like, we'll well, we'll just book tickets and we'll go. So uh, we booked the tickets, and then we're like, we'll just land there, we'll rent a van, we'll fill up materials, and we'll drive out to. And then the more we thought about it, that's it's a bit silly. So um, he, yeah, you know, it's very Such dangerous. Such an idyllic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, <laughs> but no, that wasn't the case. So we uh, we spoke with. Um, World Vision, who are on the ground there, well, like UNICEF and others, and they, because as as I said, there's so many children, they've built these schools in this camp, and I think about eight. It was, but now these schools are just very basic, rough buildings, and so it was an opportunity then. I was like, okay, because we couldn't get any building materials, we we're so naive. There's no power there. Mm. There's no. It's not like you can go get eight by four sheets of wood that we're used to here. It's like, like trees and like there was nothing there. So. We had this canvas, was what you call it, would be a school. And it was just like walls with open windows, all concrete. And so we painted that. And so we went over, got materials, drove up. And we spent, I think, like 10 days there in a refugee camp with everybody. And it was just a sort of social experiment or just, well, a social experiment, I guess what you call it. But 
it was more just like the work that I would do with experiential pieces is for sort of like escapism. Mm. So as I think that's what I used that as a vehicle for for those kids. It's just a week or 10 days of this novelty of breaking the norm and painting their school and hanging out with these three white people that look like lunatics to them. Like, Sounds like a full, um, fully immersive experience uh, essentially yeah, for you. Yeah, it was very, very challenging. Mm. And uh, But I'm really grateful for it. Like it was really hard to heat. We were hungry. We were staying at the Seuss Hospital. Like you're lucky to get a shower or whatever day, a cold shower. Mm. Your breakfast might be like an apple and coffee and then you just ate rice and beans whenever you got it. Like and But yeah, like so does that, your physical part. And then you're painting all day in mm. the heat. Then, so that's, but I can deal with that. But then you're dealing with everything else that you're visually bombarded with. That You're just watching these poor people in the refugee Oh my God, camp. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not going to start getting into that, you mm-hmm. know, but we all know. But like that grates on you too and like I found myself getting frustrated and angry at points but it all resolved in like this is really good learning I probably was very naive thinking I'm going to go teach these kids and but I took the most from it even about our society and how fucking wrong we are and what we do and these fucking devices these phones and social media mm. and how we've lost our sense of family and community like I've seen that there like firsthand like the reliance they have on each other like it's just beautiful and um, but yeah, it's just incredible. an amazing, amazing experience. You yeah, know, and I'm gonna go back and work on it more. We'll put up a link to the images from that project um, yeah. on the website. I wanted to talk to you about um, sort of one of the more iconic things you've done, which was that Ballymun project where you okay. did up a block of flats in Ballymun. Yeah, uh, part of this project, uh, you were doing Damien Dempsey kind of collaborative thing yeah, uh, it sure. was called the they are us um project from 2008 uh, 2010, 2010 is when i had the exhibition yeah so 2009 it stretched over to 2010 and uh and i was reading that you kind of said that it was after you did that project that you kind of looked back and you're like oh you know what i'm not like i'm not just a graffiti artist like i actually you felt comfortable identifying as an actual artist yeah and that project was about homelessness and it was a kind of it had a political slant to it obviously yeah and i'm wondering did kind of discovering your kind of politics help you to discover yourself as an artist really that's really valid yes totally i agree with that um so yeah with that project that was in 2009 it started and it just came from an initial idea i was listening to damon dempsey's music as a fan loving it resonated with me his words was like as if he's speaking into my ear personally mm. and um and so f- for what have affected me i wanted to just share that in some way like maybe a token of appreciation so the first thing i did was went out and i painted a mural saying damon dempsey gives me hope and then maybe that was just a, like a way to lure him in <laughs> to come meet him and then so i met with him and spoke my intentions and what it would be was that he would just give me lyrics and i would uh, transcribe them onto the walls that's as far as he went Developed on, he said, yeah, developed on, I looked at like a tradition of sign writing that was lost in Dublin from years ago because of obviously printing and whatnot and cheaper ways of doing it. And so I was looking at that as because that was like a visual identity for Dublin, you know, and one of the prominent people that did um, those sign writing, those, those pub signs and stuff was a guy called Kevin Freeney. So I sort of mimicked, I took Im- inspiration from his style and how he did certain aspects. I used different typefaces. And so what it, what, what it resulted in was 24 murals around the city, or 23, I think. The last one was Ballymun. And Damon Dempsey's family, I believe, lived in 
in Ballymun in the blocks, mm-hmm. but I think they moved out when he was a kid or or just before he was born or something like that. So it was quite um like, you know, relevant to him too. And yeah, it said something like concrete jungle mother, farewell to your stairwell forever. Mm-hmm. And we painted it knowing that it was going to be knocked down a month later. So and yeah, and then with that, so we had all this content and we decided to know what to do that and I said well why don't we just make an exhibition and we made an exhibition and so sorry while I was painting these 20 something murals around the city I became very aware of the homeless crisis in Dublin and I got to know a lot of the homeless because you know we're all busy like I've just come here from meeting someone else so the streets are just this transient space for me but when I was working in that space in the city centre painting for all day or two days um, the homeless that is their home like you know they're they're there and they're chilling so I got to know them personally there's no barriers up I think a lot of artists are like that we, um, socially would hang, hang out any social classes yeah. or whatever um, so I got to know them personally like really really personally and uh, and just you know a few guys one guy Kevin in particular like really really got my heart you know and I met him one day and he was doing heroin and just in Tampa Bar up that lane I was painted to deal a criminal mm-hmm. piece and I was trying to write him, I was helping him, I was sheltering him, like, you know, fucking do what he had to do. And, uh, but he was telling me about this, uh, I was like, how, how how are you here? Like, you know, and he had a great job, super queen out in Dunleary, he was a head butcher, his brother was a manager of it, brother tragically died, he couldn't accept, he lost his job with that, lost his house, ended up homeless, found himself in prison, in prison, got addicted to heroin, and then I met him on the street. Holy and I was shit. like, holy shit, exactly. So then that brought me to like, I need to go to Mountjoy Prison. So then I spent a month in there bringing that project into Mountjoy and St. Patrick's Prison for Young Offenders. And I painted murals with the inmates on the walls. And then so we had all this, all these photos. And uh, we decided to have an exhibition then in 2010 in Smithfield in Block T. Mm -hmm. And every penny that we raised went towards the homeless. And so I met with um, Dublin Simon Community. And I said, what do you need? And they're like, well, we need cash, obviously. But I was like, I'm, I'm like a tangible person. I need to see something. Mm. So they said, we need a medical van. I was like, how much is a medical van? They're like 30 grand. So I was like, all right, that's our goal. Raise 30 grand. And that was another thing where like, there's a shift where maybe we'll get onto it. It's like, where it wasn't me. Like, you know, I was just the vehicle or I was mm. the messenger. It was like Dublin came together in that weekend, that pop-up show, and everyone came together, communitively mm-hmm. bought pieces and raised that money, and Dublin gave that medical van. So that became sort of a basis of like a narrative of my work that yeah. I then continued through. Well, we should but, say also that you've chosen to talk about homelessness and the homelessness crisis in Dublin and yeah. about mental health mm. uh, as your 12 angry minutes. So. Yeah. Without further ado, Angry do you want to launch into that? Oh, launch? Yeah? <laughs> well. Go was... on. You're on the clock starting now. Oh, God, the pressure. No, it's not. Um, so with the homelessness, let me think. Um, I guess, yeah, like there is a crisis there and it upsets me every day. It probably does anger me to a degree to a certain day. I don't know the emotion. Mm-hmm. But even this morning, I came from the gym, 9 a.m., walked into the screen from Harcourt Street and I counted six homeless what i would call brothers and sisters of our city you mm. know like they you know because i look at them like family like that's someone's kid or that's someone's mother or whatever and so it infuriates me because it's become so um 
was it? We were just so used to it. Like, you know, we're just numb to it. Oh, yeah, completely. You know, and uh, anesthetized. Yeah, anesthetized. Really good description, yeah. Um, so, and it's just the stigma probably associated with that and why people um, don't take responsibility. I think we are responsible. Like, I think society is responsible for this. Like, you know, these are like, we look at, I think from gauging other people's reactions of homeless on the street I think they look at them as a threat mm. but for me I would look at them as like the most vulnerable people out there the people who are weakest that society beat them down so much through circumstances of their life for their families that has brought them to this stage so mm. so I was going to ask you like you've travelled a lot of yeah. late through work you obviously like that's what you have to do as a street artist and stuff but like you've been in Australia you're in Uganda like yeah. you're living in the States um, you've been all over do you think the home that there is a particular cruelty to the homelessness in Dublin do you think it's a that we have a particular bad problem here um I think I think that it's quite evident that there's a lot of homelessness and then there's like the invisible homelessness, like the emergency housing, young families that need housing. Um, but like, I guess it's probably because I've been so aware of it since 2009 that I'm I'm, I'm hyper aware of it now mm. when I'm back in the city and I see it. But um, let me let me think. I was just in Italy. No, I didn't see it. I didn't I didn't see people having to beg or sit in the street all day. Um the only sort of, um, I was in Greece like last year, but that was like the refugee crisis that was coming. Mm. That wasn't, uh, you know, so that filtered. It's a completely so, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, no, I think, um, I think. So I just want to like. So it's it's so to start. It's like that's the hierarchy thing that society, the government is obviously trying. I presume it's trying, it's trying, it's trying, but the money hasn't been filtered down because I think it's based on daily week. I mean, yearly budgets rather than mm -hmm. like five year plans. You know. Um, but what I think is important, what probably f if we want to be frustrated mm -hmm. <laughs> or angry is the social, the lack of social engagement between our brothers and sisters. So just because like, I'm stating the obvious here and we all know it, like, you know, just because they're sitting down, we shouldn't look down on them mm. and to that. But and and I'm all for giving money to the charities. It's much needed. But I think for me, I think there's a lot to a homeless person. There's obviously the first thing is loneliness. And then the sense of being abandoned, and so I think if if we can't give money or we can't, or I think a very important thing for like round level people day to day is just to interact with them. Like with, I don't even like saying them with 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 the homeless, mm -hmm. and just like a normal like you know. So I would always it's I, I did it consciously at the start, and now it's become such a subconscious thing that I know loads of the boys around town and mm -hmm. women and. And it and then it's very rewarding for me too. That's what I keep trying to say. Like I'm giving back and I get to know them, engage and just uh, like giving a smoke or chatting to sit there, yeah, give yeah. that minute as you would give anyone else a minute. Like mm -hmm. you know, so. So you're saying on the molecular level, you think as as a society we're not like just being open enough to people who are on the streets. Yeah, I think, people. and I'm only I'm sure there's loads of people who are doing that. Yeah, and brilliantly. But just for me. I think it should be more. And I think that encouragement, like, you know, just will mentally make people stronger and be encouraged that, like, I just think there's a lot to benefit mm. by just engaging with someone. No, I, I actually totally understand what you're saying because so I'm currently living in Lisbon and there's a, a cafe I go to around the corner from my house every day. And there's a couple of brothels around the corner from... Um, 
from the cafe and yeah. it's also a big uh, spot for drugs and stuff okay. and all the people in the square who maybe are either like uh, sex workers or they're addicts or they're homeless are all in the cafe sitting next to you and the people in the cafe serve them for free okay and that just happens and then they interact and if they if the, anything kind of if there's any misbehavior they're like kind of told okay. I, I hear leave it out go right. go away check out for a second you get a time out and then come back okay and that to me I also grew up in Rome and there's a completely different culture there is what you're saying is makes a lot of sense to me like I grew up as a teenager sitting on the steps having a beer sitting next to a homeless guy chatting to him yeah. and that would be like what I was like as a teenager yeah. but you come here and there is and like, and I can't blame people, but what I do see is there's a lot of fear. People are terrified yeah, of homeless people. Yeah, that's what I mean people. by distress. Like, yeah. Or like, people don't want to be hustled. Or, or But like, like, I'll be straight up. Like, if I was homeless on the street, I'd be a fucking hustler. I'd be hustling anything to get money. Mm. Like, so if some guy is like, there's this new guy that I see around town, he's just, his new, his like trick, or not trick, but his thing is... Uh, to just compliment women how beautiful they are and I was just like you are the man like you were just going around <laughs> like ladies can I just stop you for one, te- one second and tell you how gorgeous is are today <laughs> and like she might some girl might be with her family like oh, you're the luckiest man and I was just like he's putting out such good vibes there like such and, a charmer yeah, yeah 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 you know so um it is weird to me that that happens. But there's also another thing to me in Dublin that I do see, and this actually comes around more specifically to a type of a homeless person, I guess, it, which is the the thing with the problem with, we have with heroin addicts yeah. in, in Dublin and that it's actually, it's so hard to talk about it. It's really hard to For talk sure. about it because you either turn into the Niall Harbison ignoramus kind yeah. of saying like, please like socially cleanse our streets so that like tourists <laughs> want to come and visit us. No way, did you say that? Yeah, he said stuff like get get rid of them, um, and then or then you have this like incredibly permissive sort of sort of like you're sort of turning a blind eye to it. You're saying, oh, I'm you know just leave them alone. Of course, we're gonna have addicts. What are you gonna do about it? Okay, but it also is a way of not actually addressing the problem. Do you ever do you have you thought about this? Or yeah. You- so when I think of the homeless, like, and we like. Think about it like this. Every every person is different, just like us. Every situation is different. Some people there might be mental health issues, there might be addiction issues. But like we all know that you should we like the let's just take that out of context of the homeless and we talk about the war on drugs. Mm. Has that ever worked? And America keeps harping on about that. Mm. It doesn't. So if we are now. If you if you're speaking like that, we're actually applying that same attitude. The war on drugs, mm. like the heroin is problem, but not they're victims of their circumstances, their upbringing. It's no coincidence that like. Like people in Fox Rock aren't all on heroin in comparison mm. to someone like another community in other part of the side of the city. Mm. So that's based on circumstances, maybe some bad decisions, bad influences, bad upbringings. I don't know. Like, you know, and I even spoke to a lady um, who was a heroin addict and she was like, Al, we didn't even know when we did heroin. We thought it was like smoking a joint. Like, and I remember smoking a joint as a teen. Like, that could have been, like, they didn't know the implications of it. Yeah. Like, as we've done loads of stupid stuff. So I just think you need to be, people don't need to jump to the obvious. Be patient. Try to be understanding. Mm. Look at everything individually. And uh, I think you'll get a better understanding and better answer to be able to resolve problems. Yeah. You got about approximately about four minutes when we Ooh. talk about mental health and why that's something that you wanted to talk about or yeah. not be 
Okay. Angry about, but frustrated, as yeah. you said, very diplomatically. I have to manage my yeah. um, I guess it's uh, like that's another topic that's spoke about a lot now. We're all speaking about anxiety, and, and you know, that's a, a modern age thing, I think, as well, a lot because of the, the environment we live in, like mm. the pressures that we put on ourselves. Does your concern come from personal experience? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that's how most people get best understandings mm. is from personal experience. And then you could, because it becomes more relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I suffered from. Um, so, just before, I guess what I'm trying to say is what my anger is, or what everything, or frustration will be to people who are like me, and me for not voicing it and speaking up about it, mm. because it's actually a detriment to yourself and the people around you. So, you know like just have the inner strength to agree and now it's very hard because it's in your mind but yeah to give you a context i think at the age of 21 i was diagnosed with chronic stress disorder and that's like obvious things that people would know that might be related that would be like ocd and when people say ocd they think oh yeah i have ocd no like i'm gonna kill myself ocd like you know you're driving yourself absolutely insane so I suffered that for years and then i got through that but that led on to depression anxiety and stuff like that but i've managed it like and i'm really well now and i'm grateful and uh in a really good place but i'm also very aware that i live with that line like you know i live in the house with this line every day and you just always have to keep your eye on him mm. take your eye off and he's gonna eat you so that's what i try to just <laughs> you know just keep manage that but i just want to um i guess it's probably just an opportunity to get here and just sort of I know I'm not alone like that, and I know, and I, and I, you know, I met with a friend yesterday, a beautiful guy, and he was going through a hard time. We just sat down, and I gave him that hour, and he gave him the opportunity to speak about his issues, and so now we mapped them out and we talked through. And I, I'm just getting to realize that fuck, we're all like this. We all have this, and we're not expressing it or bottling it up. And I don't mean to be. Uh, uh, precious, but like I really want to address it more to men and that's probably because it's more relatable to me I can understand but I just really you know like I didn't have my lad mates to talk to I didn't have any shit like that to talk to so Who's the first person you spoke to about it? Um, Probably my mum hmm. like when I was younger I came down and just was like had a bit of a melt I was like there's something wrong with me you know but now I was looking because let's say simple things I couldn't tidy my room without getting upset so there's something but then because I, I didn't address it properly it manifested more and more and more and it, it affected the part so I'm gonna really like I'm I'm great now like you know but uh, I just I just want to that frustrates me the what is it like the cloak that's over it all like yeah. you know and it's finally unveiling oh yeah it's finally unveiling you know so all good. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's funny to think, you know, you wouldn't think someone who is out tagging walls at age 15 and who then becomes kind of, a, you know, well-known, famous graffiti artist has chronic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. It just like, it completely, you know, that <laughs> well, jars with your image, cross, you know? Like, you know, that's it. Like, don't be judgmental on people exactly. like the homeless or anything like that because you don't know what's going you on. You don't know what's going on in someone's life. Just be consciously grateful and nice to people i'm telling you it works yeah. yeah the idea that you were saying there that like about talking about being unwell to your lab mates like mm. particularly in ireland there is i know there's a lot of campaigns around it and like for instance joe caslin did that yeah, uh, famous what mural about young young boys taking their own lives and stuff yeah. and it's around this idea of uh, masculinity and talking about mental health mm. issues 
what is going on there? Why is there such a crisis in Ireland with that? What do you, what do you I think? Know, like uh, what I take from it's like I like when you said masculinity there. So it's not actually a man; it's the masculinity role. And what does that mean? The provider, the the to be a masculine man, and what like there's a lot of pressures put with that without us realizing. You know what I mean? That and one of those aspects is you can't show emotion. You have to be hard. You have to. You can't be sensitive. You know, and these are things that we bottled or or we put our our. Um, or shell up over like mm. our armor, and so yeah, I just want people to dismantle and and you know, sensitive souls are lovely, sensitive souls are lovely <laughs> because they are more susceptible to being creative and kind, and you know, I think I think people should embrace that more. No, I think it's great that you've come out and talked about that. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, gonna go back to the interview now. Yeah. Um, so thing I wanted to talk to you about that I uh, think you have a really interesting angle on is the idea of selling out. Okay. Because there's a huge kind of stigma around the idea of selling out, particularly yeah. coming from street art and yeah, stuff. Sure. And so, and it comes into like, do you put up stuff in a fine art gallery? Do you do commercial work? Yeah. And your attitude seems to be, you don't give a fuck about the stigma or about the concept of selling out. Am I right? Um, I'll be conscious of it, but I'm conscious of, of what my my morals are of what's right. And anyone else can think what they want. So give me an you example. can't imagine trying to please everyone's opinion. Like you can't. Mm. That's just a debate that I'm not even going to engage in. Um, so, yeah, like I get offered, if we're talking about the idea of selling out a commercial work, yeah, I get offered a lot of commercial work every single day. I'll be honest, I get an email about something. And I just pick and choose them and I see what suits me now. I'm, in, I'm finally looking to be in a position where I can pick and choose what I want. And if it makes sense, I'll do it. And and if it's commercial work, it's primarily about the money. So if the money suits me, yeah, I'll do it. And then that will then finance my little revolution of me doing my own work. Uh, so it's just got to keep the balance right. You could like wash yourself out and just do commercial work the whole time. But then there wouldn't be a demand for you. They're they're asking for you because they can see that you have that drive and ambition, like. An but also mass appeal that people just yeah, love your stuff. Yeah, people can relate to that work, like, yeah. because it's done in a sincere way without a, a thing behind it. And mm. then, so uh, yeah, I came from the street art graffiti, well, graffiti background. So yeah, I guess selling out if you're putting your work in galleries, but that also like I'm 36 years of age. Things change as you get older, mm. and coming of age, I don't want to go out and like like. <laughs> Like in the middle of the night with my hood on and like I don't get anything from that anymore. Yeah. What I get from now is like bigger projects, seeing things come to life, these three dimensional things where I'm building and all the social engagement around that. That's what I get my kick off now. And maybe in 10 years time, my kick off will be just being in the studio. So I'm not selling out. I'm doing what I want to do that makes me happy. Because if I was believing in that, well, then I'll be miserable at 36 spray painting along the dart line and to just I want to extend my portfolio I want to better myself each time get these ideas out of my head so you're a man of you're a gentleman of leisure now a little bit more so yeah yeah I'm also busy you know? yeah. but I, I've learned to uh, I've learned to manage manage my time better and mm. take things on at my, my own pace I'm still working on that but so like 
Let's talk a bit about the idea of that like, you had your big studio show last year. Oh, on Graphic Studio. Yeah, Graphic. And they were, and I was, that was your debut show, people were calling it. And I was like, how is that a debut show? Like, I'm sure I've seen Al's work mm. a bunch of other times. Was it your debut solo show? What, like, explain yeah. what that show was and tell people what that show was about and what you did for it. So, funnily enough, yeah, it actually was my first solo show in Ireland. Mad. And it was a print show. So it was fine art printing. So there was wasn't any painting around it. That was all a printing process with a gallery called Graphic Studio. And they're like the masters in Ireland, the oldest. They're just the best. The head, the head printer, Robert, like he's like so zen. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And um, like he makes pink pinker. Like I don't know how he does it. You know, wow, just, that is the best compliment yeah, ever. Like he he's makes just pink like, pinker. Like, you know, he's <laughs> just the man. But uh, so, um, yeah, they asked me to do a show probably three years ago, and then I did it. And so it took two years to put together with the printing. I was living in the States, flew back to do a two-month residency with them, created work, fly off, I'd be in Germany, come back, do a little bit. And we did that for two years, and they printed all the work, and it was, um, that was the show there. But I actually haven't had any shows. I had a group show, a few little group shows here and there, and like me and George, the sort of graffiti writer, John O'Reilly now, I think he's a part of the OHA. Mm. Um, he, uh, me and him had a show together that we self-funded ourselves in the film base years and years ago. Um, but that was it because I think I was just like, what I was interested in at the time was just being outside and making stuff mm. and doing like that. And and then I was doing installations, three-dimensional installations, but they weren't, you know. So I had my first proper solo show was actually in London of last year, mm. the Lazare Days Gallery, and um, and then so my second show, which was my first show in Ireland, was of the same year last year. And what do you get? What is the big, the major difference between doing like a piece of like what's public art, street art, and doing something that is a studio based, like a gallery based? project yeah. what's the major like difference difference yeah it's hard like, that does definitely it's a good question because like it's like you have to have two heads like you know you, you, you have my installation head on or my outdoor where everything's big and you're almost like almost like a production manager certain mm. times you know and then and then and where everything has to be planned and then like schedule like i'm in the middle of scheduling something now like in the but then you go to the studio and it's complete opposite you don't schedule the 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 painting and the process is uh, also a very important part of the creative things that come out from it like you know and um and it's in 2d or whatever so and it's more scaled down like you know in comparison to being outside driving a cherry picker and painting and it's more solitary i imagine like you're much more yeah, on your so own you really have to condition your mind mm. and like I'm, I'm going through that right now where i'm taking a break from painting because i want to get back and probably have a solo show next year again in london so i'm already training my mind for that like winding down getting mentally prepared to then go back in studio because i did it last year and it took me about three months to get my groove and like those days just sitting in there having a smoke and Checking not, my phone, happening. but I've been patient. I was patient, sat there. It's like, right, go home. You're getting turning into a bit of a Zen master. Coming back the next day. Well, now no, hold on. There's naps in there as well. Like, so, <laughs> so like, you know, it's not so Zen. I might be like, I might have a nap and being a bit lazy. Just so, in bits. Yeah. <laughs> just in bits. Um, Al, it's been an immense pleasure yay thank you Mazer thank you so much for coming in and talking to us on 12 Angry Minutes thank you for having me thanks for listening to the show 
You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you rate us on iTunes, that would be super nice because it helps other listeners find out about us. Our theme music is by Kojak. Our artwork is by Aaron Quinn. I'm your host, Roshin Agnew, and the boss is Alan Bennett. You can find 12 Angry Minutes on Twitter at ThisHeadStuff and at Guts underscore magazine. Have a wonderful day and stay angry. Okay, now I can hear myself. Oh my God, you can actually hear my like... This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.